Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you once again for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather together to study your word. And Lord, I do pray today as we look at your word that God, you would speak to our hearts. This, this portion of scripture, I know applies to every single one of us. And maybe even an area where we don't even like to, we don't even like to read it in our daily reading. We don't like to look at it. It's a convicting area. And yet, God, I know that you care deeply about us. So I pray that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit today. Lord, we wouldn't just push aside or push down or bury what you're trying to tell us, but God, we would hear you and we would act accordingly. And God, that our lives would be changed because of your spirit working in us. So we ask you to just bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we begin this section, this is, again, as I, as I prayed, this is something I think applies to everybody. I know everybody's got one of these. We're gonna talk about the tongue. So, you know, we have this, but what sort of interests me is obviously something was going on in that first century church with gossip and slander and backbiting and etc. And the reason I say this is chapter one, James brings up the tongue. Chapter two, James brings up the tongue. Chapter three, he gives us a long portion about the tongue. Chapter four, James brings up the tongue. So something's going on for homework later on. You can read James 4, 1, uh, 4, verse 1, and 11 and 12. You can even read it while I'm talking right now if you want and flip over. But hey, he's direct about it. Something is happening there that he wants to address. And here's what, what I really believe. I don't think that church is any different than any other church. We battle this. And, and I, I, my prayer is we would all be honest before the Lord and admit that that's a battle in our lives. It's something we deal with. It's how do we respond to things? What do we do? All of us may not be like extreme gossips and et cetera, but hey, this is an issue, obviously, that's difficult. And I believe, listen, I believe James gives us some great insight into how dangerous the tongue is, but he also gives us insight on how to fix it in our lives and how to take care of it. I, I wrote this down. I read this this week, and, and I wrote this down. This is a sports writer. This kind of blew my mind. When I, when I read this sports writer, I thought, what is a sports writer writing? Listen to what he writes. I am more deadly than the screaming shell of a howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth. I res uh, no respect for justice. No mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and I seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Wow, isn't that powerful? How true that is, and yet, if we're all honest, we get caught up in those things. And so James is going to address that today. He's going to speak directly to that, and I believe, again, directly to that body and directly to us. 
And we can't just like ignore this. So he begins to me, here's what I think is, is kind of pretty awesome, is he begins at the top. He didn't begin at the bottom, he begins at the top. And listen to what he says in verse one. My brethren, let, let uh, not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So James starts out with a warning and says, hey, let not many of you become teachers. Now listen, he's not anti-teachers in the body. Obviously, he's not talking about like school teachers. He's talking about, about teachers in the, in the body of Christ. He's not anti-teachers and saying we shouldn't have any. It's one of the gifts to the church that God gives in Ephesians chapter four. He gives pastors and teachers. It's one of the spiritual gifts that people receive, the gift of teaching. So he's not anti that, but here's what he's saying. Let not many of you, and, and we might rephrase it, let not many of you desire to become teachers or maybe even usurp the idea of becoming teachers, treating it flippantly. He says, because of this, Teachers are held more accountable. They're, they're held on a higher plane. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, every word that comes out of our mouth will be judged. Whew, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? I read someone just bought coffee too, but I read somewhere, I didn't read that, but I just heard that. But I read somewhere that the average person speaks 30,000 words a day. That's a lot, that's a lot. And some of us, we double or triple that because we're talking all the time. And, and I would be a, among one of those who, you know, I just yak, 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 yak. I've done it all my life and, and I just do it. If there's nobody to talk to, I just keep talking. I don't care. So some of us, so imagine, listen, 30,000 words and we're accountable for those. But James takes it to the teacher. And I believe I have a heart today in our generation for young guys coming up in the ministry because I think, I gotta be really honest, I think some of them treat the position of pastor-teacher way too flippantly and way too carelessly. And it hurts me, it bothers me. I wanna raise up a generation of young people in our fellowship that respect the word of God. I wanna raise up young men to teach the word of God, to dig in, to study. It bothers me when people wanna to gather together and, 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 and talk about the word and nobody studies, nobody looks at it, and we just come and throw out a bunch of opinions. What is that? It's not healthy. And James is, and I think that's what he's talking about. Hey, not everybody's a teacher, not everybody's gonna do that, and you shouldn't do that. We should be respectful. I put in hours of study in preparation. And I'm not trying to boast or get you to woo, but I'm just letting you know, I put in hours. And for someone just to pick up the Bible and go, well, here's what I think it means. Number one, I don't think you should think what it means. You should know what it means. You should study it, tear it apart, dig it, put it back together, and get an understanding of what it means before you presume to be a teacher. So he says, hey, 
We shouldn't be teachers. Why? Because we're held accountable. I remember one time somebody said something to me. I, I don't remember all the context, but they didn't like something. I think it was something during one of my teachings, and, and they were pretty harsh to me. And I said, well, I said, here's what you need to know. I'm perfectly comfortable being accountable before God for what I said. So, you know, I'm glad you're not my judge, and God is, right? But he's going to judge us. Now, listen, there are times I'm like going, can we rewind that, God? Like, can we do that over? Like, uh, erase that part? Because, hey, there's times I know that I blow it, too. But, but listen, he says, hey, you are a stricter judgment as a teacher. And then he says, all of us, every single one of us stumble in many ways. And bottom line, here's what he's saying. We're just a bunch of people doing life. And we stumble in many ways, but he says, but if you can get your tongue in check, and I'm paraphrasing that, he says, then you're made perfect. Now, listen, he's not talking about sinless perfection. It always cracks me up when, when some people, you know, well, you know, I've reached the plateau of not sinning. You know, when somebody tells you that, just step on their toe. <laughs> See what they do. If they smack you or yell at you or something, now they've sinned and they can, you know, erase that whole facade that they have. I got that from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was with the guy. They were out to lunch, and this guy was one of those holiness guys. Charles Spurgeon had to be a Calvary pastor. <laughs> He's sitting with this guy, and this guy's telling him all about, I haven't sinned in 10 years or something. And Spurgeon goes, really? And the guy says, yeah, he picked up the pitcher of water and poured it on the guy's head. The guy came uncorked on him, and he goes, okay, now you've sinned. <laughs> so listen, what is James talking about? He's not talking about us becoming perfect sinless. What is he saying? What's the theme of James? Do you guys remember? To become mature, to grow up. And what he's saying in verse two is, when we can get to the place where, where we control our tongue, we become mature believers. We become grown up believers. We can put on our big boy pants and we can go with that. And, and he's saying, hey, you do that. And then he says, when your tongue is under control, your whole body follows that. And what a wonderful thing that is. And I believe, I believe, listen, I believe all of us experience that at different times. And you're going, yes. Have you ever been out doing something and, and the Holy Spirit works through you in a great way? Even if it's just a great way that, that, that you don't lose your temper or whatever and, and you walk through it and you go, yes, yes, that felt so good, right? And, and you're just like celebrating or maybe even you're having a conversation and, and God uses you and you speak some phenomenal thing. You even want to stop and take notes as it's coming out of your mouth. You're going, I want to write that down because, hey, the Holy Spirit is working in you. And, hey, that's what he's talking about. And that should become, listen, it should become something that happens more frequently than less frequently as we grow up in Christ. So now he's laid that out, he's given us that. Now he's gonna give us some illustrations and, and they're kind of fun to walk through. I like the illustrations that he does and, and the way we walk through them. And, and so, he, verse three, indeed we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn the whole body. And look at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So he gives us a couple illustrations. Large things that are moved and directed 
by a small thing. The horse, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed when you watch a, a really good horseman and how they can make the horse do almost anything. I, I, I just, I'm always amazed. When I get on a horse, I just hang on, right? We're just going, and the horses, and, and you watch these people that control that animal, and, and they do it with the reins, and I guess some with their legs, but you just watch them, and they, they have it together, or, or when you see this huge ship, and you think, man, this little thing in the back is just going, and it turns, and it does that. Now, here's the thing, though, James is getting across. It's not so much the bit that makes the horse do what it does, and it's not so much the rudder that makes the ship do what it does. It's the person pulling the reins or the person moving the rudder. It's the strong arm of someone controlling that animal or that ship through that small thing. What is this point? We need a strong arm in our lives to control our tongue. Although our tongue is going to guide and direct our life and guide and direct what we do and take us certain ways, it's that, that, that small thing that directs, but it's something bigger than that that moves that small thing that we need to understand that. And then he goes a little bit further as he, as he explains this and he tells us, he says, even, verse five, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. So he says that tongue that's a little member does great things and we know that. We know in our lives that little, that little thing I read, we know, we know the destructive power of our tongue and we also know Listen, how great our tongue can be used in people's lives to change their lives. And we need to be men and women who decide, I wanna be, I wanna be on the side where I'm affecting people's lives for good, not for bad. And ask God to make that more and more frequent. So then he tells us at the end of verse five and verse six, see how great a forest is a little, uh, I'm sorry, see how great a force, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. So that's kind of lengthy. Here's what he's saying though. Look at, look at a forced fire. A few years ago, we experienced here the, 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 the fire that, that destroyed so many homes and, and, and kind of went through here. Look what's going on in Austria right, or Australia right now and a fire. And, and gen, oftentimes those fires, they're just little, little fires when they start. And fire is good when we control it, but horrible when it gets out of control, Right. I remember when the monument fire, the, the day before or two days before the monument fire actually began to roar, there was a friend visiting here, actually he taught here, Brian Hughes from New Zealand. And I had taken Brian out on Hereford Road to show him where the church was when I originally took over Calvary Chapel. And we're on Hereford Road and we look towards Mexico and there's this little fire in Mexico. And that little fire in Mexico came across the border and caused that huge fire and destruction in our area. And I'm, I don't know the details of the Australia fire, but it's generally almost always some little thing that starts it. 
the great Chicago fire, I think most of us have heard about it, and Mrs. O'Leary's cow, right, kicked over a lantern and et cetera. But, but do you know the facts of that? Listen to this. From that cow kicking over a lantern, that fire destroyed 17,000 buildings. That's incredible when you, 17,000 buildings, it took 300 lives and left over 100,000 people homeless. Now, that's the destruction of fire. And James makes a point that something small gets out of control and it's destructive. And he goes, that's our tongue. Now, I believe we need to stop and think about something. He's not just talking about the muscle that's in our mouth that wags around. Obviously, obviously something drives our tongue. He's talking about our speech. I think he's talking about our thought. I think he's talking about what we, you know, the things that we begin to push forward. But it almost always eventually comes out of our mouth. And that's not good. And he says, your, your, your tongue, he says, your tongue is what did he say? It's a, your tongue is a world of iniquity, right? And he says, the tongue is a fire and a world of iniquity. Jesus says, it's what comes out, it's not what goes in the mouth, it's what comes out of the mouth. And what comes out of the mouth is what's in the heart. And so we need to, we need to be men and women who, we want to readjust our hearts, we want to fix our hearts, and I'm not talking about open heart surgery and those kind of things. I'm talking about we need to get before the Lord, and you want to fix this, you've got to be honest with God. And I think that's one of the things that disturbs me the most. Some of us hear a message like this, and we go, well, that's not me. Yeah, it is you. It's you, and it's me. Hey, I've had to read this all week. It's very convicting, studying it all week. Sometimes I want to do the message like six times so you guys have to put up with what I have to put up with. But all week I've been looking at this and it's very convicting to me. I have to think about it. And I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not in verse two yet. I'm not that perfect, mature, big boy pant guy. I'm getting there. I think I got training pants on right now. But I'm getting there. But I want to be there. And you know how I'm going to get there? It's by being honest with God. And he says, hey, your tongue is set on, on, on fire by hell itself. Now, here's what sort of blows my mind as he, as he talks about this. He says, hey, he says, your tongue sets, uh, the, sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. An interesting thing, he uses that word hell that's not the normal word used in the New Testament. Him and Jesus are the only ones that use this word, and Jesus only used it a couple times. Normally, when the Bible speaks of hell, it's the Hebrew word or Greek word, sheol, meaning place of the dead. This is that word, Gehenna, which is entirely different. Gehenna is, is kind of taken out of the Hinnon Valley there, and if you, if you ever go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem and, and, and the old city and, and temple and everything's kind of up. It's kind of like a, a little pinnacle that comes up, right? And you, got, you got the Kidron Valley, you got the Hinnon Valley, you got all of these valleys around it. Well, in that valley is where they would dump all of the trash, the things they didn't want, the carcasses of animals, even people who had died, and they would just burn them. And I liken that to, hey, I grew up in the era where you went to the dump. Any of you remember that era? You go to the dump and the dump was always on fire, right? It was always smoldering, it was black, it was nasty, it stunk. I hated going with my uncle. I had an uncle that, come on, we're going to the dump. I hated going to the dump with him because you always came back with more than you took. 
because my Uncle Jack would be, climb down there and get that. It's like, it's horrible down there. It's filthy. Yeah, but I'll give you a bath one. Get down there and get that for me. And, and, but I just, you, you know, if you've ever been to a dump back then, that smell, you just know that smell. It's always burning and just nasty. That's what he's talking about. So, so that image, and he says, hey, your tongue is that filthy. Wow. And we can either use it for good. Now, I kind of like the idea because you can use fire for good and you can use fire for bad. When I think of this, I think of two kind of historical figures that use their tongues in different ways. Hitler used his tongue and annihilated six million Jews. Someone said, for every word in Mein Kampf, the book he wrote, 125 people died for every word he wrote. That's, that's crazy. And then you have Billy Graham. And his words gave life and changed. I want to be on Billy's side. I want to be over there. So we have to be careful. And, and you know, there's just, that, just that, 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 that warning we have here. And then it gets a little bit, listen, now he's going to give us, how, how do we fix this? In verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird of, of uh, and bird of and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So here's what he's now. Listen, he's not saying we've domesticated every single animal. Here's what he's saying: we've subdued every animal known to man. In other words, we're up here. Animals are down here in spite of what, you know, people try and tell you that we're all equal and et cetera. You know, God made us on a different plane. Didn't he tell Adam and Eve to take charge of the animals? And James is just simply repeating that. And, and so we have, we, he, he's not saying we've domesticated every animal, but we've subdued every animal. We can, we can hold our own against every animal, which is kind of incredible. But then he says this, listen what he says. He says, verse eight, but no man can tame the tongue. Hey, if you mark your Bible, you know what? Even if you don't mark your Bible, underline that. Get that in your heart, listen carefully. No man can tame the tongue, period. There's not exceptions. So you don't need to leave here today thinking, I'm gonna get it together. Because the Bible tells you you can't do it. No man can do that. We need to understand that because I think that's the starting point and I think that's where a lot of us blow it. You cannot fix your tongue. Only Jesus can. Only God can change that in you. And you've got to decide you're going to have that dynamic relationship with him and allow him to come into your heart deeply so that takes place. Now, in order to do that, here's what you have to do. You gotta admit to God that you know you got a problem with your tongue. And someone's going, oh, I don't wanna do that. I know we don't wanna do that, but you gotta, hey, do you want it fixed? You gotta decide. Are you gonna fix it or not? And I love, no man can tame the tongue. And then he gives this little illustration here. He says, no man can tame the tongue. Verse eight, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Man, that's intense, isn't it? What's the big thing about poison? The big thing about poison is it works secretly, right? You just slip it in there 
Did you guys read that article recently where that lady offed her husband using Visine? Yeah, I thought, wow, you are one inventive lady, I guess, guys. Take note, get Visine out of the house. <laughs> She's putting drops of Visine in his food, and it eventually killed him. And they did a toxicology report and busted her. Yeah. So, again, I'm, we don't allow Visine ever since I've read that. All the Visine <laughs> is out of my house. But you can't taste it, and it slowly works in your body, and it kills you. And that so often is what it is with our tongues. Some of us don't even realize it. And we need to be careful. Some of us do. I've mentioned before a couple times, there, there was a person involved in my life that I, I remember they would always say, I know, I know I have a problem, but it's just the way God made me. No, it's not. You know, when that person told me that, and, and I'll never forget, they told me that like several times. The last time they told me that, and they go, it's just the way I am. You need to understand. Because they were a bad gossip. And I said, seriously, I go, so what if I go fornicating like crazy and say, well, that's just the way I am. You got to understand. None of us would accept that, right? Don't freak out, you guys. It's okay. I can say that. Some people are like, did he just say what I think he said? <laughs> yeah, I did. But listen, you are not made to be a gossip machine. And what breaks my heart so much in our generation is there are so many inventive ways to gossip. It's not just what you say. We type it. We Facebook it. We Instagram it. We, you know, Snapchat it. We do all of the things. We got all of that, that internet stuff and we're all over it. And, and then somebody reads it and somebody tells somebody else and then somebody comes up to you. Don't you love this? Now I'm going to tell you something. And you can't tell anybody else. You gotta promise. Promise you won't tell anybody. Promise. They've just told the whole entire church, but you can't tell anybody. And then you tell somebody, and they go, I already knew that. Saints, let's think about it and let's be honest. It's poison. And let's go before God and say, God, I can't fix this. I need you to fix it. And then one last illustration he gives that I think is powerful. Verse nine, with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or in the image of God. Listen, with it we do this one time and this another time and, and, and James goes, you can't be doing that, right? He says, verse 10, out of our same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing my brethren. Notice that again. Twice he said, my brethren. My brethren, these things ought not be. He's saying that's a contradictory in, in what you're doing. You're blessing God. And then some of us, listen, some of us, we're going to get in our cars today. And you're going to start the minute you get in your car. Although you were raising your hand when, you, when we were singing Jesus and, and his name is wonderful. And then you're going to get in your car and you're gonna say something horrible about somebody. And usually it's the pastor. <laughs> usually it's, I can't believe he said that today. You know what he was talking about? I think he's so whacked. 
There's a story of a family that went home after church and, and the dad said grace, this wonderful prayer of asking for God to, to bless their time together, thanking him for the food, thanking him for everything they had and, and this wonderful prayer and he got done and they're passing the, the different plates around and he started in on the pastor and talking about the pastor and how horrible he was and, and his little you know three, four-year-old daughter said, uh, Daddy, did God hear your prayer? And he said, of course she did, he did, honey. God hears our prayers. He listens to us. And he explains things, and they ate a little bit more, and she says, Daddy, did God hear you talking about the pastor? And he said, well, I suppose he did. God hears everything. They ate a little bit more, and then she said, Daddy, which one did God believe? Ooh. Think about what we do. And he says, you can't be doing that. And hey, I'm not telling you, you can go talk about me, I don't care. But hey, don't be pulling people down and then coming in here and lifting up your hands in praise and worshiping God and then going out. Here's what he's saying. That's a contradiction in who you are. And then he takes that contradiction a little bit further. And, and listen, he says this. He says, he's, as he goes further, he says in verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or in my case, figs. Can it do it? Or can a grapevine bear figs? Here's what he's saying. Just look at nature. And nature's not that messed up. Out of, out of a spring, you don't get fresh and bad water. You get one or the other. And figs, hey, fig trees do what they do by nature. Grapevines do what they do by nature. Olives do what they do by nature. I love, you know, Peter takes this a little bit further, right? Peter talks about dogs, and he says, what do dogs do? By nature, dogs return to their own vomit. It's gross, but it's true. And here's what he's saying. So if you're doing that, what nature are you coming from? It's kind of convicting, isn't it? Oh, and then he ends this whole thing with this. In the end of verse 12, thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. You can't do both. And here's the conclusion. If you're praising God one minute and cursing your brother the next minute, more coffee, wow. <laughs> so if you're praising God one minute and cursing your brother the next minute, you're showing your true character. And here's what I know. We all get caught up in things and we get messed up. And I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm in the same boat. And we get messed up. And we get caught up in things we shouldn't get caught up in. And what we need to do, though, is be honest with God. I'm not asking you to go around and tell everybody all of your sins and what you do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Sit before God and tell God to change you. He's the only one that can fix that. Your friends can't fix that. Your mom and dad can't fix that. The Holy Spirit in you can change that. And as we yield to him, our lives will change. And we will do less and less and less of that. Hopefully someday, none of that. And we can put on our big boy pants. We can say, now we're mature. 
But it starts with this. God, my tongue's messed up. And God, I want you to take control of my life. That's where it starts. Without that, you're gonna keep doing what you're doing and you're gonna keep going down and you're gonna be this walking contradiction in the world. And I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. So let's make a choice today to make a change. Let's stand up and pray. Father, this is a, a tough passage to read and tough passage to read and reread and reread and reread. It's a tough passage to teach. It's a tough passage to hear because it's so convicting. And I pray for all of us standing here that God, you would work in our lives. That you would do that work that maybe we've even tried and we failed miserably that we would begin to trust you and we would be men and women who are open and honest with you and allow you to come in and to fix those things that, that even there's some things deep in our hearts that, that maybe even be, might be the root of, of what's coming out of our mouth. And I pray we would get right with you and get in that place, God, Whereas James says we can become mature and get our whole body in line. So we want to yield to you, Lord. We want our lives changed. That's why we, that's why we come to church. We don't want to just hear your word. We want to do your word. And we want it to influence and affect us. So God, have your way.